0: Our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety, and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that when implemented will improve our safety our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Okay, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Mission Zero podcast. I am your host, Jeff Peoples. Today, my guest is Nina Spencer from Onward, Inc. We've got a lot to talk about, uh, Nina. We've known each other for a couple of months now, so we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, thank you for coming and, and being a guest. I appreciate you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You're most welcome. Um uh, we, we like to start the podcast out. Uh, you know, of course, we want to get into the uh, the nitty gritty of why you're here. And, and of course, it's uh, in the world of safety. But first, we'd like to know a, a little bit about you, as, as the audience will hear soon. Nina is not a Native-born American. She comes from across the pond. So, uh, Nina, tell us a little bit about your life, uh, where you're from, and uh, what, how you got to this point in life.
1: Yeah, so I'm from sunny Scotland um, originally. Uh, I'm gonna offend a lot of people and say that I don't claim Aberdeen as home, um, that Edinburgh is home, even though I did spend some of my early years in Aberdeen. Um, but yeah, I came over to the US actually. I was doing I did my university in Edinburgh, Harriet Watt. I did uh, business law, so all of my education was done back home. And then there's a great foundation called the Saltar Foundation um that is works with the Scottish government and gives students, not necessarily um, as we know, not the not the all the A-grade students, but students that have, you know, a particular passion for business or 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 some sort of kind of department. And it gives them the opportunity to go overseas and work um for a while with a different company. And I was chosen by Wood, with you know, the old Wood group. Mm-hmm. And I came to Houston in 2009, so that was the penultimate year of my degree, and came to Houston, worked with some great guys um, in Wood, really got a taste for oil and gas, um, and they helped me kind of shape my dissertation for my last year for my master's, and um, I did it on corporate social responsibility within the oil and gas sector um right before deepwater horizon happened in 2010 and then in 2010 i ended up coming back to houston once i finished my degree and working for a very texas company called west engineering that was certifying bops so i didn't really know that much about offshore industry per se but my first kind of paid job if you like in houston um was working for a company that was incredibly active, working on regulations, figuring out the new SEMS regulations, the new BOP regulations for after um, Macondo, the deep water incident. So I was incredibly lucky and I got to hit the ground running at, you know, 2010 was such a pivotal time for Gulf of Mexico. And my kind of background and interest is this mixture between law like I enjoy it but I'm not I don't have that necessarily like (laughs) that legal 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 brain but I like the business side of it and so it was really interesting to me on how they were bringing in regulations and how it was affecting the change of of the Gulf of Mexico which at the time I knew very little about so um and then from then I've worked in various different you know, companies and sectors, but all, all offshore. Um, so I did a stint in Trinidad I did a stint in South Korea, bringing out some drill ships. Um, but it's all been really kind of tied in some way to regulations, health and safety. And, um, yeah. And then 14 years later, I'm still in Gulf of Mexico working on health and safety and oil and gas. Um, you know, being from being from Bonnie Scotland, so I know it's yeah. sometimes Bonnie. Yeah, but on nice sunny days, it's Bonnie.
0: I've seen it at its worst, and I've seen it at its best. That's great. I like the the sunny days because the um, the best view in all of Scotland Scotland is the north uh, when they cut the fields, and they're that gold color. All of its gold and the bales of hay are out there and if the sun comes out it's like th- the entire place is made of gold it's the most beautiful
1: excuse you've been very poetic Jeff I would have been like oh it's it's sitting on a picnic bla- ba- you know blanket in uh, in the meadows with a with a cold beer in your hand
0: <laughs> ah, it is I mean you could have a beer with this but man the the, the view of it but uh, you know uh, the only the only problem I've had is it, from my first visits there till more recently is, you know, I'll offend a lot of people. But the the, the windmills have ruined the view in a lot of places, in my opinion. Oh, but it has. Yeah, it is just not the same upper you know Highland area as it used to be, and it's just it kind of litters the whole entire country almost now, and it's just it it, it ruins the view a little bit. But um, but okay, so you um so you started out in 2010 with a with an onshore company not an offshore company.
1: So they were they were offshore but they were certifying blowout preventers at subsea. And so it was um it was that's where all the regulations from 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 deepwater horizon came and that was the kind of this pinnacle moment in the Gulf of Mexico when we went from I say we and I wasn't in Gulf Mexico Compared to Scotland, what we know in the North Sea being a highly regulated, highly regulated safety case industry. To them, when I came into the Gulf of Mexico, a not wow. so highly regulated, <laughs> and um, and you know the, the the Scotland and the UK, we have this um, we have a completely different culture in regards to how we view government. Um, Rightly or wrongly, this probably is not the right podcast to get into it. Um, It is the right podcast. (laughs) But we, you know, we're a highly, the UK is highly regulated in everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we look to the government and there is um, a historical trust. And the US is not based on that foundation. And so when you had an incident like Deepwater Horizon... And then there was this flood of new regulations where you had this memorandum, nobody was allowed to drill, everybody has to sit down until we can figure out these regulations. Um, you know, I, I think of myself as incredibly blessed to come in at such an interesting Perfect. time. And I'm learning. Like I didn't know anything.
0: Well, I feel like everybody would have been though.
1: So yeah, so everybody was learning. And I had um I did a lot of energy um based classes in university that were based on UK regulations. And, you know, we can disagree or agree, but a lot of the regulations, of course, they're going to look to the North Sea. They're very different. They're written in a very different way. But there is a basis. There's a basis there that I understood. um, But obviously that offshore aspect I didn't have a clue about. And um I think I've done my career backwards. I know I probably spend more time offshore as as you're meant to start getting more perks and spending more time in the office. I've gone the other way and I've ended up spending more time as my career progresses offshore. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was um I was once on the HSC committee for PISA. Uh it's now called the Energy Workforce Council, but it was PISA. And they um they had a couple of people well, a few people on there who were the Safety managers for uh, I think particular Slumberjay and a couple other companies for the offshore and I mean my head would spin when they started talking about the offshore regulations and how often they changed. Things were changing for them monthly almost as far as percentages of this chemical and that like that kind of very micro details of what they all they have to go through and make sure they're properly doing things properly in, in the water. But yeah, the. You know, I, you know, I believe, of course, we see it as all of Europe being at least a generation ahead of us, or I don't know if it's called positive, but at least a generation ahead in, in, in safety and certainly of uh, a, a environmental side of regulating the oil and gas industry. So I'm sure uh, coming from coming from the offshore in Scotland, it's got to be, I think anyone would have a little bit of a shock coming to the Gulf of Mexico and saying, okay, well, n- n- you know maybe it'll help, but to me, that makes it a that would make a person coming from those areas valuable because uh, you know, in my opinion, my humble opinion, the answer is probably somewhere between in between Scotland and the Gulf of Mexico. And the people from Scotland that has the knowledge of have 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 a they know these regulations and how things work there could bring the Gulf of Mexico up. A little bit to, to meet those and I think that's more people make you valuable or anyone from Scotland really.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the golf and America in general were not so bureaucratic in the US. And so there's that freedom and that freedom of of less red tape and and more driven towards the business side of it can actually be beneficial for health and safety um, because you're more flexible. You're more willing to change. You're more willing to look at it. I will say, um, I think that I was given a lot more opportunities in Houston, in the Gulf of Mexico, in the U.S. as a very young, I mean, I'm still obviously very, very young. We're not going to discuss ages, but as a young female, because that kind of american dream mentality they're 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 very they allow you they, they allow you to be tested um you know texas is a right to work state so they'll fire you if you fail but they give you the opportunity to try and i will say i worked for some great people in some great companies where is, If I showed an interest in something, they were like, yeah, sure, come with me or do that. Or even when I first went and did water survival, I said, oh, that that was kind of sounds like a cool thing to do, which now I probably hadn't. And I had really no intention of going offshore at the time. And they said, yeah, go go do it. Um, And I said, hey, if you ever want to, you know, if you ever have a seat in a helicopter and, you know, would be interested in let me go offshore, and oh yeah, absolutely, no, no problem. And I don't know that that would have happened in the North Sea. Um, I think I was given a lot of those opportunities because of the culture in the U.S. And they were like, "Yeah, go ahead." And that's how you develop people. That's how you get good people. And good people have a tendency to be safe people. And in the Gulf of Mexico, particularly, like we need, we need, we need good people. We need good people everywhere. But we need good people in the Gulf of Mexico because, especially after, you know, the economy right now, we're we're hurting, we're competing, and you know, there's a there's a really strong correlation between good people and people that work safely.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I agree with that completely. I, I I told people, you know, since I've been, I've never worked directly in oil and gas. I've only provided products to oil and gas. But what I've learned <clears throat> in a short time is that the companies that care there is a strong correlation between the companies that care about safety and how well they do financially the companies that i, I would go to and have discussions with like you know showed uh you know a, a, a disinterest in in trying to up their safety game and trying to be in trying to protect their people they're usually on business in two or three years yeah it's just it really works that way and i like what you said before about the uh about the the U.S. versus you know, there's a, there's also obviously pros and cons. Sure. And um, you know, the way I used to describe it to people is that the U.S. Uh, doesn't give you much as the Europe does, but it allows you much more. And you know, the Euro- European countries will give you a great ground to step on they will they'll take care of you but you're limited in your upward mobility in life and what you could do a little bit there and so yeah i think i think the opportunity here is more but you're given less it depends what kind of person you are really is how you would thrive in the u.s but i'm glad to hear you are but uh you know let's get to i guess modern um uh you're you're currently with onward inc um it's a uh Inc. has a couple of different faces and uh you're more um well Actually, I'll let you tell it.
1: So we it started as a it started as a kind of safety human factors culture company back in uh, 2010 when you know uh, when I was not with the company and it's moved into different areas and we have a lot of safety consultants um, employees that that work d- directly on long term projects for for operators and service providers and drilling contractors and those those types of of you know customers and we provide a lot of um kind of in-house HSE safety regulatory support when i was working a lot in-house for operators um, operators are required every three years to be audited by a third party. And I would help a lot of those operators either get ready for their audits. I would help them during their audits. Um, I would help them with their corrective actions after their audits and kind of everything in between. And I saw a wee bit of a gap in the market where there was also a need to... Provide qualified auditors. And so, here very recently, Onward has become one of the very few, I believe there's only five um allowed auditors to audit operators in the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, so found total companies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, there's not a lot of operators in the Gulf of Mexico, and they all have to be audited every three years. And um, you know, there's a whole bunch of regulations that go with it. But it was important for me, even though it was an absolute bear. And I probably shouldn't say that actually, can we probably delete that bit in case they're listening? Um, but it was a it was a bit of a bear to get the certification. And halfway through I thought, oh, I don't know if this was I don't know if this was worth it or if this is the right thing. But I think it's like anything, it's It's also important, it's also important to be able to tell people, you know, and show people where they can improve, um, you know, not just do all, all the fun stuff on the side. So, so it's been a journey, um, like it's probably, I don't want to say it's not my favorite thing to do. I love when companies come to me and say, Hey, can you help me prep? for an internal or can you help me do an internal and help me prep for an external audit because you have a lot more freedom you're not so guideline by the regulations we're highly it's highly enforced on on what we have to look at and when a company hires you out with a government mandate you have a lot more freedom to work with them on things that you think they should be working on not things that the government tells them to work on Um, here in the last couple of years, you know, we've, we've not been doing very well in the Gulf of Mexico on a safety record. Um, our safety incidents have significantly increased. Um, who, where does that information
0: come from? Like, how is that?
1: From BESSE, the Bureau of Safety and Enforcement, um, offshore. So they, they keep up with that. We, you know, the industry has a great relationship with BESSE, Um, and so between the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement and groups like the Center for Offshore Safety, um, they do a really good job of letting the industry know what the statistics are. And our fatalities are up, our incidents are up. Um, it's been a rough couple of years for the Gulf of Mexico. and. One of the biggest things that I kind of personally think we need to do a better job of is historically we tend to kind of say, oh, this incident happened. Okay, well, why did this incident happen? And and we look at it and we come back with very generic answers of and obviously I'm I'm dumbing this down for the for the sake of an example. There was not a procedure. This person did not follow pr- the procedure. And then we have a tendency to say, okay, well, we need to create procedure. We need to follow the procedure. And we tell everybody the procedure and we train everybody on the procedure. And and that's kind of as far as we go. And what I really try and do with the operators that I'm working with is dig deeper, not just into after why incidents happen, but it's a good example of like, of why. Okay, if this procedure existed and they knew that it ex- why did they not follow it? well they didn't know it was there well why didn't they know it was there or they did fall or they did know it was there but and a lot of it and we and we know this this is human nature it comes back to humans it comes back to safety Kate it comes back to human factors it comes back to culture um and getting comfortable on the job getting comfortable and it's it's something that's actually I mean it's, it's not I'm not saying anything that's new this is not revelationary, but it's actually in the Gulf of Mexico or offshore in general. I'm not even talking about the Gulf of Mexico. Those are that's a hard job. That's a hard job. Sure. This is not a this is not a remote working. Headphones in, kick your feet up, take your lunch break.
0: Hard mentally as well because these men and women are from their away from their families for quite a
1: while. Too. Yes, so and the, in a lot of ways. And the men and women that are are working offshore, wherever in the world, it is not a culture of, let's talk about how this feels. Yeah, <laughs> It's not. Oh, yeah. And I don't necessarily think that we need to go all the way to where mm-hmm. it sounds like I'm going with it, but we do need to look beyond, hey, let's add another piece of paper. Let's add another checklist to this. Let's create another tick box for these guys and girls to, to do. And Okay, let's look at more of the kind of, let's look at more of the leadership. Let's look at more of the aspects of of why you wouldn't follow something. There's been a great study that just came out of Brazil, and I'm going to kick myself for not being able to remember the guy's name, but he did this big study in offshore Brazil about the types of people that are willing to put themselves at risk. And it shows like guys that do certain jobs, like work on the, on, on the drill floor, are a lot more comfortable with with taking high risk and we need to like we need to start really challenging that type of mentality of like why are people really okay with taking such massive risks instead of just throwing another piece of paper in a checklist and being like right okay here's another procedure that you've got to read um, and so I'm in this kind of weird one foot i'm I do the auditing. I do a very kind of checklist based government mandated type of job. but there's also a huge other aspect that i'm that I've been involved in years and I'm still which is this kind of how do we get people to think about the risk that they're taking offshore and and how do we challenge that um I think there's a correlation there, but I'm I'm not sure if I figured it out yet. <laughs> well,
0: it sounds like it's uh, you've got a plan that's evolving and it's 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 coming together. I think you I think you'll come with it. But I've got two questions, pointed questions. I want to come back to pretty much what you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. But first question, um, yeah, because you know, like I said, almost all of my interviews have been onshore. This is my first of anybody who works offshore, so um, it's a great thing for me because. I would be learning as well. I have never been offshore. I don't know about anything about it. The greatest risk people look for, safety people look for or scared of onshore. And I even took a poll of my own LinkedIn page the other day, is by far driving. Uh that's the greatest risk in onshore. It's the it poses uh threats in every different way possible, not only to their own workers, but to possible other people out there. So HSC managers are and that's by far their their what keeps them up at night, but also uh from there, uh uh, Crush and blow injuries, Mm -hmm. primarily to the hands. And in summertime now, especially down here, they're forgetting about heat injuries. Uh, There was a massive increase in heat injuries. No one can, no mystery why. It was a massive increase in heat uh, this past year. So those are things now, heat obviously dealt with in the Gulf of Mexico as well, uh, in addition to humidity, which makes it worse. But so, uh, offshore, what would you, uh, how would you answer the question? What are the most critical things or risks that are, that, are, that are on an offshore rig from the minute you step out there? What are some critical risks there?
1: I think line of fire is a huge one for us. I mean, we have so many crane operations going on. We have so many moving parts. Obviously, you have so many moving parts onshore, but you're so restricted by space. So your deck space is so limited that you're constantly moving these pieces of puzzles to try and get an operation done. So line of fire is so huge for us. And obviously you've got working hands-on with the equipment line of fire, your pinch points, your your everything that comes with, with that. And then you've got so many moving parts, so many crane operations, so many parts that your body can get trapped between um so i would say line of fire is a huge huge one for us and it's very difficult i think to sometimes correctly analyze the hazards beforehand because they're moving they're fluid you've got sea states you've got wind states you've got weather your deck didn't look the same as it did yesterday um so is it right
0: the 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 actual Configuration of the deck would change.
1: No, but you're where your connex boxes are, where you're set up, where your equipment has to move. Um, you know, even the position of your supply vessels versus where you're, you know, which crane you're using to get to which deck to wh- I mean, it. So it there's there's a lot of things that these that these men and women have to be paying attention to, um, and it's routine for them like in their mind it's routine because they do it every day but the hazards and the challenges are not routine so that's a very difficult thing you know and it's it's like driving you drive the highway every day it's just such a routine we do it but yet the dangers are still there and the dangers are not going to be the same on one stretch of road than another stretch of road so how do you challenge people to stay alert behind the wheel how do you challenge people to stay alert in a Small space that they live fourteen and fourteen or twenty eight and twenty eight, and they it it's it's that challenge of analyzing the hazards that you think that you saw yesterday, but actually they've changed. What is the typical
0: like dimension and sort of of a, a rig re- platform? What what is?
1: Oh gosh, Jeff, it it's like it's like kind of asking like how big is a boat? Like you can have these shelf platforms that are not large enough to land a helicopter on. Um, and then you've got these six gen drill ships that, you know, I'd rather be on that than a Disney cruise, you know, they're, so, I mean, they really change. And this is also a challenge in, in, you know, the golf is.
0: I think a lot of people don't, I learned about, I didn't even know there was a such thing as drill ships to a couple of years ago. If you, if you're listening and you hadn't seen one of those, look that up. That is Fascinating. I
1: will say that's really where I started. I've I've kind of gone. I went from drilling to being more on the drilling side, and now probably I do probably equal amounts on drilling versus production. Maybe now even more on production. So I've really had to learn. Because um, if you start on a drill ship, you've gone the wrong direction. You need to work up to a drill uh,
0: ship. Um, well, it looks to be like most, like most people they they is, you know, our visuals are, is the platform. Like we don't get to see drill ships, uh, it, and that's what we get into movies and TV. Right? It looks to me like the. I mean, maybe a hundred by a hundred yards by a hundred yards. A hundred is that hundred meters?
1: Jeff, you're gonna make me get my phone out and Google.
0: Oh, I i I just I, I, I guess I was just trying to wonder how. I mean, these I guess...
1: these six-gen drill ships are absolute monsters. Like, oh. they're, they're, they're sizes of—I've never been on a cruise, but I imagine they 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 give a small cruise ship. You know, their POB, their, uh, you know, personnel is 220, 240 people on board. I mean, these are some— That wasn't the question I was going to ask. Comfortable— bad boys that are that are flowing around the world right now and then and then you go to a to a uh, to a platform and you know your pob is six people and they and and i have to kick somebody out of their bed when when i come to stay you know um so it's so it's so it varies so much which is a which is also a personnel and task from like an hr standpoint is you can't Always take somebody that's worked on a production facility in the shelf and expect them to be able to analyze the risks on a on a drill ship in in super deep water. Sure. Um, same industry inverted commas, but but completely different hazards, different equipment, different operations. Um, so, what would
0: keep you up? Um You know, as an advisor or consultant uh, to someone offshore on the environmental side, like what what is the scare? What are the scares there? I mean, are they using a lot of chemicals that if if they got into the ocean, where it's a disaster?
1: You know, I want to say I think oil and gas gets, especially offshore, gets a really bad rap on the environmental side, and has a, I wanna say it has like almost a represent a a represent it has a kind of correlation of being under regulated mm-hmm. and it's not on the environmental side I do think Gulf of Mexico and offshore industry um is highly regulated and they do an excellent job. You know, they are they are mandated to report Every sheen, every, the amount of government watching now, the technology that they have is unbelievable. And I've seen it. And operate, well, if you, you know, you know better than anybody, but operators do not mess around. It's, it's, they're, they're, they're testing the level that they go to to do reporting to is, is honestly, and as an auditor, you know, you sign these lengthy NDAs. You're not allowed to discuss. You have to see everything. You go offshore. You see everything. You get access. Yeah, yeah, you get access to everything is... that they that, that these guys are doing. You see everything that the operators are doing. You see everything that they're and and they do it by the book.
0: Um, well, people, you know, only going to you know if you're if you know BP, Perez, and you only remember know that we don't sure. see anything about the millions and millions of work hours and and um, extraction coming from the the ocean floor. We just see the one accident, and if you're a little bit older, um, I don't even think you're old enough to remember this, but the Exxon Valdez.
1: Oh, uh, I, I, that was in my dissertation, yeah. yeah. And and the stuff that the, the Gulf of Inksu does for on, on the marine life is unbelievable because we've got these BOPs and these fantastic cameras in the depths of the ocean, then we found new creatures, and we have to set up... Um, after the freeze, the big Houston you know Houston had or Texas had this massive massive freeze, and it did something I'm you know, this is just goes to show my level of intelligence, but it changed the water temperature so drastically that it really messed with the turtles and it changes the water temperature it, the Gulf it changed something to do with I don't know whether it's what they're eating or or it changed the way that Turtles were now in the water, and like I now I sound like an idiot, but they went to the oil and gas companies and they said, "Guys, we need your help in order to help us track, you know, the wildlife and what's happening." And oil and gas has a huge part to play in 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 um in the health in conservation and the and the offshore environment of of offshore not just the negative environment but also the positive environment
0: you know i'm a diver myself and um uh two th- i'm going to get off uh course a little bit here because it's a fun <laughs> su- subject but i don't know i haven't been there yet but there's a place out in the in the gulf where people go to dive where the whale sharks come uh if you've ever seen those mm-hmm. uh they're 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 um uh, they're not they're, they're uh vegetarian or they don't eat Meat. That's good so, to know. So you can be next to these unbelievably giant beast and it's no you're knowing no danger of it eating you. And it's a pretty remarkable thing as a diver to be in and like they're the size of whales. Um I mean I mean they're whales. They're just um, what I mean by that, they're size of like blue whales. They're huge and they'll swim right past you. But it, I I think it's an abandoned uh platform or One that's there, but you go out and there's just billions of types of fish. And the other thing I want to get at is years ago, I wanted to mention this. Years ago, uh, I was approached by a a guy who, you know, you think it's dangerous on the rig floor. There are people who work under the water. Oh, my gosh. And those
1: guys, shout out to them. They are the craziest.
0: They do welding underwater.
1: So I did a water survival class with some of those and I will say after a couple of years, a couple of rounds of different water survival, the first time I did it, I loved it and I was very young and I thought I was great and then I actually did one this year. And um, we've, we've, like I touched on, we've had a lot of drownings and a lot of fatalities in the Gulf of Mexico uh, in recent years and unfortunately a larger number of uh, helicopter incidents than we should have. And... I will say water survival. Last time I did it, whew, it was a it was a mental struggle for me. I really struggled, but I've done it with those guys, and I don't know whether I love him in my class or I just I I almost want to purposely kick him in the face when I'm trying to get out the helicopter because it's just so easy for because what they do for a living is. So unbelievably mind blowing yeah. that you throw them in a swimming pool and they're like, "This is this is a cakewalk." You know, you're meant to hold your breath for a certain amount of time, and you know, two minutes later, these guys are still dilly dallying about <laughs> underwater in the pool just for a joke. Um, yeah. Oh, there's.
0: Well, well, the thing, what they came to me for was this, and he, he you know, I came you know, got the phone call. I met with a guy. He's like, "I need a glove that will go up." Most of my arm. Um, I know you got cut-proof gloves, but I need something to protect from more of a puncture. And I went, "What? What? What? What's the risk?" That's why I always ask, "What's the risk?" Mm-hmm. I think it's lionfish. Is it lionfish? Um, there's a is there a type of fish that's it's non-native to the Gulf of Mexico, but it was introduced out there, and they have. I think it's lionfish. I may be wrong, but anybody anywhere near this water would know which one I'm talking about. It's a fish that has. They will sting you, and these guys were working underwater, and they were. Trying to use their hands, and they were getting stung on the hand. It was pretty painful, from what I understand. So they were looking for gloves. So their risk is is even down to to those types of risk, right? That I mean, it's not a risk for your life, but I don't think it feels good. How
1: have I never heard of this? D- I'm going to go life. on a deep like, Google dive. <laughs> if
0: you look up lionfish in the Gulf, they are they bother the hell out of them, the guys who are who are working underwater uh, to do those things, and that was they, it, it. bothered them enough to come to us to ask for help you you know what kind of guys are doing this yeah if it it, it has to be hell or they wouldn't be asking for help yeah so uh that was just a funny additional thing about the i
1: mean my favorite thing to do when i'm offshore and i get you know a wee bit of time is just you just go out on deck and you just just look out on the water and it's just on a clear day you know the gulf is like glass and it's just just like the north sea (laughs) <laughs> just like the north sea <laughs> yeah great you do not know about the Grace north sea grey skies yeah, it, uh, yeah it's rough. yeah it is
0: rough okay uh, well let me get to my uh, my next question um uh, if i if i were an operator um how would you answer the question um you know uh, what does what does your tell me well, i guess what not elevator speech but very extended elevator speech about what your company offers and 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 why hiring you to to help what would you what do you do for those companies and, and run down?
1: So additional to obviously your government mandated audits that we can either do for you or we can prepare you for or we can, you know, help you with your corrective actions, et cetera. We do provide a lot of operators with offshore personnel. And those are the people I pride myself on hiring. We're small, Jeff. Like, mm-hmm. we're small. We've stayed small. Um, sometimes I think it was the worst business decision ever. But it's hard to grow when you're very particular on who you hire. And when somebody goes out and they work for you, you know, that's that's your name. That's your brand. you under, I mean, you understand that. You're, your, you're putting your name on it when you put it on somebody else. Sure. And it's people that are passionate about safety in the Gulf of Mexico. It's people that understand not just the regulations and, you know, how to do things correctly, but what's the right way to do it. And so a lot of that comes from working inside the corporations and and looking at how they do things. And a lot of that is providing good people that that go offshore and that can work with with people in the field. Um, I do a lot of safety leadership courses, like give them and... It's not something that I really advertise that I do, but it ends up being something that I've done for a lot of operators where you really try and challenge an organization to look at, okay, how can you, where do you want to make improvements and how do we make meaningful improvements? And sometimes you've got to go to the field and you've got to get feedback and you've got to get buy-in. And, you know, those are the things that we we pride ourselves on doing really well and as a company that only works in oil and gas we understand oil and gas and so there are a lot of people that that do we do what we do and more power to them I'm sure they're they're financially a lot more successful (laughs) But they work in all kinds of industries. You know, they're auditing automotives, they're auditing food, they're working in you know safety in all facets of of. So onward is is
0: one hundred percent focused on energy.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Very cool. And look, I'm not gonna shoot myself in the foot and say you know one day would it be would it be sensible? Would it be smart? Would it be savvy for me to move into other directions? Of course it would. But. Oil and gas is like, it's where our heart is. It's where our knowledge base is. We understand the the struggles. We understand the challenges. And I think that's probably what gives us maybe a wee bit more of an edge. And, and, and it's not an area that I'm ashamed of. You know, I know a lot of people are trying to stay away from the hydrocarbons. <laughs> and I'm immensely proud of being somebody that is pro-hydrocarbons. And I'm totally pro- energy addition but
0: we were yeah. energy That's addition funny. we we were there together that night we I like we, energy addition that. yeah it was what what did that uh, lady say it was
1: Evelyn uh, McLean said it I preferred to say um energy addition rather than energy tra- transition
0: yeah yeah and, and I was like, yes, yes, that's the, that's it. That's more the way to approach it because you're not getting rid of. there's no way. I mean, the, you know, uh, there's, um, I forget the guy's name is so, um, off the top of my head cause I'm doing this, but there's a guy out there who's a huge advocate for oil and gas. And he, you know, he's constantly says, and anybody that does the, the price of not having of quitting hydrocarbons is much, much, much higher than the price of, 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 of having it. Yeah. The human toll. Uh, you know, one thing that was discussed earlier is natural gas and fertilizer. How do you feed people without that? It has mm-hmm. to have it. So it's it's important and people have, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a segment of the population out there that have fallen off the deep end on the energy and you're not going to rescue them back and you're not going to talk some sense into them. But there's people in the middle. Uh, who have been inundated with propaganda, who I think we can bring off the ledge and say, hey, look, this is going to be, sure, we're going to add some things, but this is going to be important for still the next 30 to 50 years still. I mean, it's not going away anytime soon. So uh, the environmental and safety side is 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 hugely important because that microscope, that microscope is on the energy industry. So, yeah. so you helping people to avoid, you know, of course, we want to avoid things like Deepwater Horizon because that makes hell they even made a movie about it. Yeah. I mean, so uh that's a big deal. But the other the the other thing is, you know, I, the in the deaths, the injuries, the helicopter, you know, things like that, that's I mean, that's detrimental um to to companies in, in every way possible. But some but one thing you 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 mentioned about being teaching safety leadership of all the things that I've learned and going around, and this is my life, safety is, is that, you know, how do you get a leadership culture or how do you get a safety culture? And that's by far number one. It's about the guy on top. And the guy, I use an example, I was Marshall Dotson from Key Energy. The dude is about safety and his company shows it, you know, Mm -hmm. and and so it's, he preaches it like no other. And so the the leadership has to, if, 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 if that's the minimum, so yeah. Leadership isn't 100 percent on board. Isn't preaching this thing like it's the Bible every single day. The company won't live in that because, like you said, the guys and le- you know and the ladies as well out there, they're the same type of people. They're risk averse and they're crazy brave. And yeah. And and so uh, crazy brave tends to get in, or not tends to but can get in trouble. So you have to find a way to to manage that. And you know, I see that was even a thing in the military. Is to manage someone brave, but also to make them be cautious in the right way. And yeah. so, uh, so that's a, I'm sure that's the same thing on this floor. But uh, and that's interesting to uh, to get your point of view on that because that's to me I agree with that. But I think it transcends across the energy industry as far as the leadership being the the primary point. Um, One thing too, uh, I do like to end these things, uh, these interviews, is uh, I like to ask people, um, uh, and and at the end, I'll get you to tell how people can contact with you and learn more about your company as well. But uh, I like to ask people personally what's important to them. Uh, This this happened. This is a tradition of my podcast. Happened as an accident. Uh, on my uh, on my second podcast with David Reed, and uh, I had learned a little bit about him, and I learned he was involved in human trafficking. And if you've been anywhere within a thousand miles of me over the last two years, you know. I'm involved in that now. And uh, it came from David. So I like to ask people, uh, you know, what are what's important to them personally? I know you're married. Um, I know um, we've talked about what's important to you personally. Uh, and so t- tell us a little bit about what you do outside of work and, w- and, and what your passions are.
1: So I spent a lot of time and I did it in Scotland. I was a child advocate in Scotland. And then when I came over to Houston, um, I kind of got sucked into that live to work. And um, it made me take a step back, especially when you come over and you're on your own. And, you know, your work is your only anchor. And anyway, I trained to be a child advocate in Houston for Harris County. And so what I've done for the last nine years is you go into foster homes or or the, the, you know, the homes of children, group homes or whatever, and you take a you have a child, you were given a child by um, the Harris County courts that's within the foster system, and you advocate for their rights in court and, and out of court. Everything from health needs to dental needs to to checking in on them in their foster home um, and then going to court and, and asking for any additional help that you need. I've been doing that for about nine years. And I think the foster system in the U.S. is incredibly broken. I think the foster system, especially in Houston, is so overrun, so overwhelmed. And we're very harsh in in the U.S. Um, there's lots of great things, but we expect so much of somebody when they turn 18 there's not a lot of help after that age and we expect people and we judge people pretty harshly when they're not kind of productive members of society but there is so little help for kids that do not already have a support system and so we kind of abandon kids in in the foster system and we abandon them even more so when they're when they turn to an adult. And yet we expect a lot of people when they, you know, turn into adults. And so I think it's important. obviously, I've got that legal side, which does great in the courts and working with judges, and I kind of feel like I'm good in that sense. And you know, it's tough. You see a lot of abuse. You see a lot of neglect. Um, you have to read through their case studies and you have to get to know the kid you have to get to know often sometimes their abuser um, or it's, that's it's a,
0: that's an incredibly difficult thing to face.
1: It's, and it also helps me though, Jeff, like in a, it really helps me put in into perspective as somebody that loves what I do for work. I'm obviously very passionate about my, my work and, 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 and the company, but it does help kind of balance things and and get things into perspective sometimes um and i think that's really important for me i will say um i've started working with another uh group out of houston called the hay center which is houston um stands for houston alumni youth and they specialize in helping um teenagers transition out of foster care um because in 2021 i actually had a, a a teenager that I'd had, I was guardian ad litem for, for four years, and she passed away, um, as a result of, uh, you know, the neglect and abuse, and that's a very difficult thing, you are thinking, you know, we're the third largest city in the U.S. now, and, you know, we are rich and wealthy in so many aspects, um, but so many of what things are being done to and what children are going through in this city is just truly unfathomable. And so I started working with the Hay Center um, because it it particularly shone a light on the lack of help that teenagers in particular are getting. Um, well, what is
0: it? so as an advocate is that what is that an organization or is that a
1: so child advocacy is—it is an organization, but it's—the rights are given by the judge. So the judge will decide which cases get a child advocate, and the so judge the will the assign you. Though. You work with—it's it's an independent organization. It's an independent charity, like a 501c3 charity, um, but they have— the backing of the Harris County judges they're they're everywhere they're all across america but it does have a big impact because the judge assigns you your case and says hey this case needs a needs a child Can advocate you give that
0: or no is that private oh
1: no it's a, it's casa it's child child advocate if you google child advocate child advocates um it's it's a it's a multinational or not multinational it's a national organization and and every section kind of has their, it's like San Antonio has theirs, Dallas has a child advocate. Um, so
0: something you you said, it sounds like you you believe um, that, you know, obviously we fell a lot and we don't do very well with the, the foster care system, but it seems like um, <clears throat> we're failing them uh, or it needs to be some sort of mentorship program into adulthood. Um, you know, there's a lot of things people deal with at 18 that if you don't, I, I've told people as far as my mindfulness training, and I've told people who were who were blessed to have parents, two parents who prepared them for life, to not look harshly upon people who did not. Because yes. they are turning 18 and 19 without an ounce of guidance. Yeah, And so that hurts them and that puts them behind the eight ball. But it sounds like, you know, everybody knows about big brother, big sister. Well, that's for little children. But there is no. I'm not aware of So any the Hay mental. Center. That's so what this, does. this is
1: what the Hay Center does. because So Child Advocate deals with kids of all ages. And I felt like there was this huge gap for, for teenagers who are, you know, they're going through a lot already. And then, you, you know, these kids, a lot of them have never had a stable home. They've lived out of a trauma. trash bag for their entire lives. They've gone through a lot of trauma. They've gone through things that... That we cannot even fathom as as functioning adults. And so I will say the Hay Center, Houston alumni, youth, and I'm sure there's equivalence um all over. And yeah, they specialize in that transition age of kind of 15 to 18, up to kind of 20. And they help. They help. So I'm a mentor with them as well. And yeah, you help. Figure out their job situation and how to interview, and just Finan- be there for financial planning and and all the stuff that you know we had our parents for, but they don't have anybody. Um, yeah. Oh, well, that's
0: wonderful. I I, I really. I think most people, rightly so, by our passionate, compassionate minds, look to for younger children and to to help. But we, we can't. Uh, it's a great point to say we can't forget children who are still trying to become an excellent adult, uh, despite the trauma, despite the problems, despite the difficulties. As children, you can become an excellent adult. I've interviewed them. Yeah, I've interviewed them, and uh, so uh, you can. It's just you need help. Uh, you need some guidance. So that's that's great that the 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 hey. Um, uh, group or
1: Hay Center, uh, Hay Center
0: yep. is, is doing that type of work. So uh, you can uh, obviously look them up online, uh, find out a little bit about that, if that's something you want to be involved in. And obviously uh, uh, Nina described being a child advocate very well. So if that's something that uh, may you're listening and that may spark you, go for it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something you can get involved with and and do. It sounds like a pretty uh, intensely responsible um uh, job there as opposed to most working with charities but that's good you know we need we need we need people doing it though so that's that's a wonderful thing that you did um, about you uh how where do people where can people find out more uh, information on onward Inc?
1: so i will give you the websites we're www.crewonward.com and we're uh, onwardauditing.com uh LinkedIn my LinkedIn I'm I'm active on but uh struggle with everything else as a typical millennial yeah. I've just fallen off the social media train um, but yeah
0: yeah, I think I do think older people are more involved in social media than thirty-somethings. It's not <laughs> yeah. that way. It's like, oh my God, how can we we can communicate with people we haven't seen in thirty years? Yes, you can. Uh, well, well, wonderful. And so you're on LinkedIn. They can find out. Uh, you can follow uh, uh, Nina on LinkedIn as well in her professional journey. And this was my um, this was my first interview with someone from the offshore. Uh, I was excited about it. Uh, met uh, we met a while back at the. Uh, British, uh, uh, British American Business Council. Is that yep. British American Business Council. Uh, as you were moderating that, and that was a wonderful, uh, wonderful night. And so um, we, we, you know, and you, in addition to what you're doing, you're also involved in. Um, uh, the Red M group, you come to, the, you do those things as well. So uh, um, you can often find Nina in those events as well. So, but thank you very much for for sharing that uh, things you do and also the professional side, uh, the the offshore uh, safety and environmental world, which is a complicated one and um, glad to see you're doing it and glad to see Onward is doing it. And uh, thank you so much for coming to talk about it.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's been fun. Yeah,
0: you have a wonderful uh, rest of your day and a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review.